Hey friends, it's good to be with you again tonight. Um, hope you had a good afternoon. I definitely got like a solid two-hour nap in. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yep, appreciate that. I like to say sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. And so I'm feeling really spiritual tonight. Um, hey, we're going to be, so I was going to say if you've been with us, you have been with us. We've looked so far, we're looking at this theme of how grace changes everything and we've looked so far at how grace, we're never beyond the need of grace. Uh, this morning we looked at how we're never beyond the reach of grace. And then tonight what I want to do is look at how grace takes us beyond ourselves. Uh, I mentioned that first night. There's a quote that's been rolling around in my head for like the last month, it feels like. It's by a guy named G.K. Chesterton. And the quote's simple. He just says, imagine how much uh, bigger your life would be if yourself could become smaller in it. And if you're anything like me, I've been a Christian for... 20 plus years, and I feel like in some ways the struggle of my Christian life is to become smaller. In other words, the the struggle of my Christian life is um, to become more uh, humble, to grow in humility, uh, to stop making everything about myself. I I like to tell my kids that we all have a superpower. I have a superpower, and that superpower is a sad one, but that superpower is I have the ability to make anything and everything about me. And so what I want to do tonight is we're looking at a passage where it's not an encounter with Jesus. But it's actually John the Baptist and his disciples watching Jesus from afar. And I think John, by God's grace, is in this beautiful place uh, where Jesus has brought him to this beautiful place of humility. And I think he wants to bring us in that same place tonight. So let's look at it. It's John 3, starting at verse 22. And we're going to go to verse 30. John 3, 22 to 30. Here's what John writes. He says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside. And he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there. And people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you, Jesus, across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, and the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Let's pray together, and I want to dive into what I want to talk about tonight. Let's pray first. Father, we thank you for um, a restful day, for a day, uh, whether we were actively resting or literally resting. We thank you for the way that you care for us, you care for our bodies. Um, Thank you for the ways that you encourage us. Thank you for this weekend. Thank you for what you've already done in our hearts, what you've already done in our relationships. And Lord, I pray that as we are together tonight, that you would be the one who continues to minister to us in ways that you alone can. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would take the words and the meditations, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, and that you would make them not just pleasing to you, but that you would make them useful uh, to my brothers and sisters. We thank you for this opportunity to be together. Lord, would you show us Jesus, and would you invite us into that joyful humility that we long for? Would you invite us into that tonight? Would you do that in our hearts tonight? We ask these things, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. One of my favorite ever SNL skits is an old one when Will Ferrell was still a cast member. 
and it's Will Ferrell, and he goes, he's, he's come home from a long day of work, and he, he's eating dinner with his wife and his daughter, teenage daughter. And the idea of the skit is really simple. The idea of the skit is just the chaos of this little family dinner, but it's very quiet, and all you can hear is them kind of not talking, but just clanging on the plate and fork, and there's just, you know, kind of doing this awkward dinner together. And then all of a sudden, they start shouting over each other. And they start trying to, you know, just grab each other's attention. They're kind of fighting. And then all of a sudden, Will Ferrell in classic, and who knows if it was written this way or if it was just a Will Ferrell thing, but he just starts shouting, I am an important person. I drive a Dodge Stratus. <laughs> and I, I love it. When I watch it, I'm like, I see myself in it. Here's why. Because he's saying something that sounds so ridiculous, but you can tell means so much to him. Right? Like, when I watch that skit, I think to myself, I have a Dodge Stratus. Like, not literally, but we all have things that we look to that when we say them out loud uh, sound ridiculous, but we look to them to make us feel important, to make us feel uh, successful, to make us feel like somebody. And I think when I think about this, what Jesus is inviting us into is Jesus is inviting uh, us to wrestle with what are those things that we look to to make ourselves feel like someone. And how do we begin to, to make Jesus, can I just say it this way, to make Jesus our Dodge Stratus? That sounds weird. But to make Jesus the, our resting place, to make Jesus the place where we find our identity and our security. Because here's the deal. You and I are never going to know joyful humility. We're never going to become smaller in our own lives. We're never going to be self-forgetful in, the, in a, in a um, I don't mean like anti-self-care way, but I mean in a way where it's true humility unless our security and our identity and our worth is in Jesus. And so Jesus, I think in this passage, he invites us, if that's going to happen, he invites us to three things. He invites us first to repent of our jealousy. He invites us second to rest in his sovereignty. And the last thing he does, he he invites us to rejoice in his glory. So first to repent of our jealousy, second to rest in his sovereignty, and then lastly to rejoice in his glory. Think with me for a second about what does it mean to repent of our jealousy and part of why I love John 3 and I'm so challenged by it is because when I look at John the Baptist's disciples, I see myself in them. If you didn't catch what's happening, John the Baptist came on the scene. He had this really successful ministry, and his disciples were pretty excited about it. And then this guy, then this guy named Jesus came on the scene and ruined it. And literally what's happening is John the Baptist's disciples are filled with jealousy because all the people that were coming to their ministry are now going to this guy Jesus's ministry. Now, they don't, in their their defense, they don't exactly know who Jesus is like we do. John does, and he's inviting them into this in this text. But when I see those disciples and their pettiness, just think about them for a second. They love theology. They're debating baptism and purification. They're, They're critical of other ministries. They're jealous of the success and the growth of Jesus's ministry. They're jealous. They're insecure. They're self centered. All they really want is to be a success. And the crazy thing is they're even jealous of Jesus himself. They're even jealous of Jesus. Um, There's this Fyodor Dostoevsky short story that I've always loved. It's called The Dream of a Ridiculous Man. And the way it goes is this man has decided he's tired of life and he wants to end his life. And so he goes, he's going to drink himself into a stupor in his apartment, and then he's going to end it all. But he runs out of vodka, so he makes a run to the local liquor store. And as he's walking back from the liquor store with his pint of vodka, a little girl, who's maybe two or three years old, runs up to him and is grabbing him by his legs. And he can't understand what she's saying, but he can understand that she seems lost from her parents, 
that something's really wrong. And what he does, and instead of helping this little girl, is he shoves her to the side, and he goes back up to his apartment, and he continues drinking himself into a stupor, and right before he ends his life, he has this dream. And the dream goes like this. He wakes up in this world that is untouched by sin. He wakes up in a world where people are truly good and kind to one another. He wakes up in a world where people generally love one another and want good for one another. And then he shows up, and what he does is he starts to, t- he starts to teach the people in this world how to be self-centered. He begins to teach them how to lie. He begins to teach them how to gossip. He begins to teach them how to, to lust. He begins to teach them how to hurt one another. And here's how Dostoevsky, because here's what happened as this world began to unravel. Here's how Dostoevsky describes it. He says, each of them began to love himself better than anyone else, and indeed they could not do otherwise. Every one of them became so jealous of his own personality, of his own brand, we could say, that he strove with might and main to belittle and humble it in others, and therein he saw the whole purpose of his life. It always makes me think, my favorite Michael Scott quote of all time, it's pretty early on in the office, it's the one where they ask him, would you rather be feared or loved, right? And he says, I want people to be afraid of how much they love me. And I'm like, oh, brother. That's my brother in Christ right there. <laughs> maybe not in Christ, but maybe, we, I don't know. Anyways, uh, but what happens, what sin has done to us is instead of, Martin Luther used to say that we're, we were created to, to, uh, to have the outward, cu- the outward curve of love. We were created, we were made to be turned outward in love to God and in love to one another. And what sin does to us, what the jealous, jealousy does to us and envy does to us is it turns us in on ourselves where the only person we really love is us. The only person we really care about is us. And for me, this has really played itself out in ministry. So my second year, maybe my third year at Georgia Southern, Matt mentioned I did five years of RUF at Georgia Southern before I went to Carolina. There was this one year where, you know, sometimes you don't know this, Matt knows this, but sometimes you get these contact, freshman contacts. And it's usually you're from a PCA church and your parents or your youth pastor gives us the information. Well, I got some hot information my third year that I thought was going to change my group forever. Because I knew after a little Facebook stalking, I knew that these two ladies coming from Atlanta, Georgia, were like real deal singers. Like one of them, like truly, like one of them was mentored by Christy Knuckles. Like they're both in these like major worship teams. And I thought, this is my chance. RUF at Georgia Southern is finally going to be something. Because I'm going to recruit, I'm going to, you know, get these ladies into my group, get them in my worship team, and then we're just going to you know, be, what do you, how do you say it, snapping checks and breaking necks or cashing checks and breaking necks, stepbrothers, I don't know. Anyways, we're going to be crushing it. We're going to be killing it. And what happened instead is they ended up, both of them, singing in the, in the local BCM. And as I was uh, just depressed and telling my wife this story one night as we were laying in bed, I said what I just said to you. And then she asked, like spouses often do, she asked this question. <clears throat> she said, Sammy, do you think Jesus is disappointed with where they are? And I thought, yeah, yes. <laughs> they need to be <clears throat> in RUF. But it was, a, it was a humbling question because the reality was I didn't really, can we be honest for a second? Like I didn't really care about how much they loved Jesus and what Jesus wanted for them. I cared more about what I wanted Jesus to do in them for me. 
I love myself. And I think this is a reality that we live in. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson, one of my favorite pastors, he said it like this one time. He said, who do you want people to love? Who do you want people to love? Do you want them to love Jesus? Or do you want them to love you? And I think the answer, if we belong to Jesus, is we want them, sometimes I'm like, both? (laughs) Both sound great. But I think what what he was driving at is what John is resting in, which is that, when we belong to Jesus, our hope for our friends, our hope for those we minister to, our hope for those that we care about is that they would know and rest in the love of Jesus. So first, we have to repent of our jealousy, but then second, we have to rest in his sovereignty. <clears throat> this is where John, John's not perfect. I think this passage, I think John, Gospel John, included that little detail about how John the Baptist goes to prison. If you remember that part of his life, he seems to get a little bit disillusioned with, is Jesus really the Christ? But in this text, he really is in this place of beautiful, true humility. Look at what he says in verse 27. When his disciples come to him in their pettiness and their jealousy, look at his response. His verse, in verse 27, he says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. And I think the reality of part of how jealousy and envy works in us is I look at your gifts or you look at my gifts and we get jealous, but we forget that there is a God who gives those gifts. There is a God who gives those circumstances. There's a God who gives those gifts. You and I don't give them to ourselves. Um, and this is what I think makes... If you're like me, gratitude is something that's really hard because it's so easy for me to live in a self-centered way. Therefore, it makes me, it's really easy for me to live in an envious and jealous way. I think because I live in that place, it makes gratitude, true thanksgiving for what God has given me and what he has done for me, it makes it really, really hard. Um, years ago, there was this really interesting, it was an NBA uh, induction into the Hall of Fame season. And two guys, two of my heroes growing up, basketball heroes, got inducted into the, in the same year. It was David Robinson, who played for the Spurs before Tim Duncan, and Michael Jordan. And what's fascinating is they, their speeches were radically different. Like, Jordan's speech, if you've ever seen it, it's worth looking on YouTube. He just goes for almost like an hour and all he does from beginning to end is he just starts trashing everyone that he's ever known. He starts trashing his first ever coach, his high school coach that cut him, his teammates, Dean Smith at North Carolina, uh, the Spurs, Tim Dun- I mean, uh, the Bulls, Scottie Pippen. He just trashes everyone. He eventually starts trashing his own sons who are in the audience, and you're like, it gets very uncomfortable. But if you were to fast forward his speech, it just sounded like me, 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 I, 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 I. And then you had David Robinson on the other hand. David Robinson, his speech, he, he literally went back. He was like 12 minutes, very short. And all he did was he thanked every person he could possibly thank. He thanked his parents. He thanked his first coaches. He thanked Tim Duncan. He thanked the Spurs. He thanked Greg Popovich. He thanked everyone he could possibly thank. And if you were to fast forward his speech, it would have sounded like, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And the reality for me is I live more in that Michael Jordan speech than I do in that David Robinson speech. I live in a place where because I am constantly obsessed with myself and how life is working out for me, it sounds like my narrative of my script for life sounds like me, 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 me. And I long for it. I long for it to sound more like this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Did you you watch the latest, have you all seen the latest Aziz special? Aziz Ansari special? I think it's a work of genius. I've watched it like five times. But that moment, if you have, this is not a spoiler alert, but there's a moment at the end. Aziz is pretty honest about his story and his, the allegations against him, but there's this moment at the end that seems really genuine to me 
where he says, normally how I close a show is I say, thanks so much for coming out. And then he goes, I was lying. I never really meant that. And he says, what I want to do tonight is just sit for a moment in this moment and just enjoy this moment now. And, and, and so he does. He literally takes this moment of silence. And you can feel like people are start like are crying because I think it's so rare to slow down in 2019. It's so hard and so rare for us to slow down and just be in a moment of deep gratitude. But part of what John and Jesus is inviting us into is to live in that place of deep gratitude, to slow down for a second where we can go with John in verse 27 and say, what can a person receive if, not, if it's not from above, from God alone? There's this letter that I've always loved from John Newton, pastor in the 1800s, to his friend, pastor friend John Island. Here's how he says it, because here's, I think, part of how we get to begin to get there. He said it like this. He said, I hope your soul prospers. I do not ask you if you're always filled with sensible comfort, but do you find your spirit more bowed down to the feet and will of Jesus so as to be willing to serve him? And I love this line. So as to be willing to serve him for the sake of serving him and to follow him, as we say, through thick and thin, to be willing to be anything or nothing so that he may be glorified. I could give you plenty of good advice upon this head, but I'm ashamed to do it because I so poorly follow it myself. But I want to live with him by the day to do all for him, to receive all from him, to possess all in him, to live all to him, to make him my hiding place and my resting place. And I think this is where when we begin to understand grace, it begins to free us from that self-obsession and we're looking to Christ. And as we look to Christ, it begins to work humility in us that we don't have to be anything because Jesus is our everything. And if Jesus is our everything and we are in him, then we can be free to do what John Newton is saying, to be, to be something or nothing just for the sake of serving him. So first, to repent of our jealousy. Second, to rest in his sovereignty. And the last thing I want you to see is he's also inviting us, if we're going to be people of humility, joyful humility, he's also inviting us to rejoice in his glory. And this is where John gets into that. It's kind of weird where John starts saying, listen, you got to understand my role. My role is like the role of a best man in a wedding. The best man in a wedding in John's day was a little bit more than the best man in a wedding in our day. Like my best man was literally my best friend from growing up. And let me tell you how much he did at our wedding. Zero. Like he contributed zero percent to my wedding. I mean, he was there, right? He was kind of there for it. But in terms of like paying for things or arranging things, he did zero percent. But in John's day, the best man actually had a huge role. And his role was actually helping make sure that the wedding went smoothly and that the bride and the bridegroom were were married and that things went smoothly. Uh, John is saying his place is simply to connect people to the bridegroom. That his ministry is simply to point people to the one who's come to bring, to marry, uh, to marry sinners. This whole passage has these beautiful overtones of Isaiah 62 where the Lord says of his people, he says, your name has been desolate and forsaken, but your name is no longer desolate or forsaken for your new name is Hephzibah, which means my delight is in you. And then the Lord says in this powerful way, he says, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so do I rejoice over you. This is where part of why I love doing RUF is I've done probably 30 weddings in my 14 years. I love doing weddings. I'm a little bit weird like that. But my favorite part of every wedding 
is right before the bride walks in through the doors and everyone turns around to look at her in all of her glory, is I just love to look over at the groom. And the face of the groom is it's an amazing thing to watch, to watch the groom's face as he sees his bride coming in down the aisle. Like my favorite one ever was 10 years ago. This guy just could not stop crying. I mean, he was just like uncontrollably crying to the point where I'm talking like three, four minutes crying. And I was like, all right, dude, we got to wrap this up. We got to like get this under control and marry this, marry this beautiful lady. But I think about that because in my own wedding, I almost missed this moment. I almost missed that moment of actually seeing my wife in all of her glory. And here's why. So the day of my rehearsal, I made the decision. We were, it was a winter wedding in December. And I'd made the decision we were going to Jamaica for our honeymoon. And so I thought to myself, Jamaica, it's winter. I'm a little pasty. Jamaica, it's very sunny. So I'm like, all right, day of wedding. I probably should get a little tanned. So I was like, there's a local tanning bed right up the way from my house. We were getting married in my hometown. Like, I'm just going to run up to the tanning bed and just get a quick little tan in. Now, what you need to know is I'd never been to a tanning bed in my life. So I walk in, sketchiest tanning bed that I, it's the only one I've ever seen, and you'll understand why in a second. Walk in, and the guy says, all right, how much, how much time would you like to go for? Five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And I think to myself, 15, of course. Because 15 minutes in the sun, 15 minutes in the tanning bed, yeah, that sounds totally cool. So go in, and I really went for it, like really went for it, except for the goggles. I lay in the tanning bed, do my 15 minutes. As I step out, I feel a little crispy, right? But nothing crazy, just like I'd been at the the beach for a little while, but feeling a little crispy. Go back home. Take a nap. I'm talking, this is my rehear- the day before my wedding. Wake up from my nap. I look in the mirror. And the, be- <laughs> the best way I've tried to describe it is it looked like if a hot dog and a raccoon had had a baby. <laughs> Just like white and like hot dog red. This is a true story. I uh, show up to the church. <laughs> I'm reliving it right now. I show up to the church. And my wife, as soon as she sees me, she starts crying. (laughs) Literal tears. Because she knows what I haven't even considered, that our wedding pictures are going to be ruined. And true story, all of our wedding pictures are in black and and white. (laughs) Like if you were to come to my house, the wedding pictures are all in black and white. There's like a couple in, in color. And the ones in color is really clear. The hot dog and a raccoon had a baby named me. It's just very obvious. So because of this, I'm pe- like the day of my wedding, I am burned to a crisp, and I can't, like I can't, all I can think about is how much everything hurts ev- everywhere, literally everywhere. And so thankfully, as I'm trying to not get over myself but struggling, thankfully my pastor, as my wife walks in, pushes me over, and I didn't miss that moment. But I think for you and I, so much of, So much of why the Christian life is hard is because we do miss this moment that John so clearly gets here, which is Isaiah 62, that we have a God, we have a bridegroom that looks at us and his face for you and for me. It's not a face that's naive. It's not a face that doesn't know where we've been or what we've done, but it is a face that beams over us. It is a face that delights us in us. And I think this is why John 
has, has humility is because his security is in the love of the bridegroom. In other words, John is free to be the best man because he knows he also belongs and he's part of the bride. I love, I'll close with this. There's a line that I've always loved from Donald Miller where he says this. He says, the biggest lie I've ever had to contend with is that life is a story about me. And I think we could also say that the biggest truth that we have found to be free in that invites us into this joyful humility that we can find comfort and joy in is that life is not a story about me, that life is a story about Jesus. Let's pray together. Jesus, I pray that you would free us from the ways that we are so self-centered. Would you invite us into the humility that you alone can give? Would you invite us into the security and the rest of your delight over us tonight? And we ask these things, we pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen.